KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. I'm Sabrina Boyd Serka, and I want to introduce you to a few people I met recently. A bar owner in the neighborhood who's been watching as his community is changing. Part of the community in the past was more homogenous, and I think over time, the last five, ten years, we've seen a lot more diversity. An icon in the ballroom scene who's tired of the status quo. I don't want an ally. You know what I'm saying? I'm so sick of these allies. I want an accomplice. I want an accomplice to be there with us every single day on the forefront fighting. A young non-binary person who's found a community and an oasis at the Attic Youth Center. Holy crap, it gets exhausting explaining who I am over and over and over again. And a trans producer, musician, and writer making art in the face of hate. It often feels like Okay, you've thrown us on the front lines, but where's the support? Where's the backup? These are four people underneath a very large umbrella, LGBTQIA+. But their lives and experiences and identities are unique. The LGBTQ community here in Philadelphia has gone through some pretty big changes in the past few years. So I wanted to ask these people what they think about where the community stands today and what's on their minds looking back at Pride 2022. Ram Krishnan is the owner of two bars, Writer's Block Rehab and Cockatoo. I asked him about his businesses and how Pride looked different this year for bar owners in the neighborhood. My first name is Ram, R-A-M. Last name is Krishnan. I go by he, him. Writer's Block Rehab really came about the idea that when I used to be on the road, quite a bit of my time off work, would be at bars where I would just take a book with me because I was all by myself. And it, it became a really fun idea to kind of do a library bar. And that's what we did about five, six years back. The whole idea there is really the focus on people. So you really don't have anything that distracts you like TV screens or you know anything like that. It's really just books and people. Cockatoo was supposed to open maybe a week after the original announcement of COVID. And then we didn't open till... 21 almost at some point, mid-21. This project was very much for the community. This was really about providing spaces to our LGBTQA community, saying, come and hang out. We need more spaces. We were just taking a small step towards that to say, let's do something different. Let's bring in a Miami vibe maybe, and let's bring a lot of light and lots of color and lots of like fun things that we can do. So th- there is a new new kind of drive to kind of change what is status quo in the neighborhood in some ways. Part of the part of the community in the past was more homogenous, and I think over time, the last five ten years, we've seen a lot more diversity. People feel more comfortable coming out, being seen. Um, there's also a lot of work being done in Black and Brown communities to uplift them and and highlight them and take the shame out of being gay in some ways. And I think that's helping in some ways. Uh, hopefully there'll be more startups and more young entrepreneurs who want to jump in and change the scene in the neighborhood. I honestly think this, and not just me, if you speak to the majority of the bar owners of businesses um, in the neighborhood, they will say this was the best pride we've ever had. Uh, part of it was in the past, the pride used to go away from the neighborhood. It used to be at, at Penn's Landing. And the bars and the businesses that kind of keep this community going didn't feel like they were part of it. It never brought any visibility to the businesses that are in the neighborhood every day, working the streets, like helping protect people, like, you know, watching over our community. Pride was not our event. 
I think what they did this time was to really think of the community and really think of the neighborhood. Part of what it did was it brought focus to what is important. One, the march. The march was about topics that we want to highlight, you know, the, the trans community safety, you know, women's rights. It was a lot of things they marched for. That was that's the difference between a parade and a march. When you when you say you're going to go to a march, you're going because you are very passionate about something. You know, and, and a parade is just like, hey, let's go party and let's all just hang out, right? So, and the celebration happened in terms of the festival. So we kind of won this battle by saying, okay, let's focus on topics that we want to highlight and we march for that. And then once we're finished, let's, you know, enjoy and, and celebrate our community and our neighborhood. And I think it, resoundingly, like literally everybody loved it. I, I really hope we as a community can work better with each other and not have division like we have sometimes and and can be very successful in what we do. I think if we as a collection can work together, I think we'll be far more successful. And I hope that that happens soon. TV shows like Pose and Legendary and movies like Paris is Burning have brought attention to a specific LGBTQ subculture, ballroom. It's a culture centered around these sort of dance slash modeling competitions where all kinds of queer folks, particularly people of color, represent different houses. It's not really something you can describe accurately in words. As Jason Bowman will tell you, you have to see it. Jason told me what real ballroom looks like and what he's experienced as a Black gay man in the city of Philadelphia. My name is Jason Bowman, but for ballroom, I'm known as the Icon Hall of Famer. Uh, founding king mother of the House of Supreme Montclair. I first got into ballroom, I was 16 years old. Like I know when I walked into there, it was the first time that I felt seen. It was the first time that I felt accepted. It was the first time that I seen people that looked like me, that talked like me, that expressed themselves like me. It was like a door unlocked that has been closed off for so long. And I walked through this door of magic and the magic was ballroom. So ballroom is an arena, kind of sort of like a paternity and a sorority. You have houses. Houses have leaders of the houses, such as mothers and fathers. It's our chosen family. Um, We compete at these balls in various cities and states, and now globally. It's really just a room full of magic and color and queer expression and queer movement and, and, and queer freedom. You know, you end up being friends with people that you meet in ballroom for your entire life. You learn so much just about life. Ballroom is truly like a Bible that's necessary for anyone who's a part of the LGBTQIA lifestyle. It can be shady, but, you know, <laughs> shade those characters. <laughs> the competition is very, very fierce. I think it's more fierce than what you guys see on um, Pose and Legendary. You know, I was on season two of Legendary. And, I, you know, what you see on Legendary is nothing compared to what you see in a real ball. So it's, it's magnified to the 10th power. But I want to make this perfectly clear that you know, though ballroom has become mainstream, mainstream people have come into ballroom and stole from us for years. Um, you know, a, a lot of the choreographers that you that you see, you know, produce music videos, they come from ballroom or some of them don't come from ballroom, but they have friends that are in ballroom and they see what happens at a ball and they take it and they go to their, you know, mainstream or more opportunity people and they're able to capitalize off what we have been doing for years. Even in the Philadelphia ballroom scene, there has been, you know, so many greats that have come through and have done such amazing things. And to watch our culture be stolen from us or whitewashed is disappointing. You know, um, I do think that, you know, shows like Legendary and Pose help shine, a, in my house, help shine a light on the ballroom scene. But I still don't feel like there has been a show that has gotten it right yet. 
too many times before when we used to have Philly Pride Presents, um, Baldwin would never have a space in that conversation. It would never be a space for us. So I was very happy that, you know, um, they reached out to me and asked me to, you know, produce a space, a safe space for Baldwin where we're able to just be ourselves and express ourselves and just be authentically who we are. And I was unsure of what that would look like, to be honest, but we teamed up with Cockatoo and uh, Frankie Bradley's and we had space in the alley. And it was such a surreal moment because I remember, you know, back in 1999, when I first discovered um, 13th Street in Ballroom, we used to hang out on those alleys down there and we just would vogue and just have a kiki, you know, just have a good time laughing. Um, and to be back in that space, full circle moment and just able to express ourselves and be as gay and as loud and as queer as we wanted to be. It was just really awesome. Um, another hat that I wear, I'm the vice president of Philadelphia Black Gay Pride. I do feel as though it was necessary for Philadelphia Pride Presents to dismantle. I think it was an old way of thought when it came to celebrating queer and gayness. I'm you know, excited that you know, other community members have stepped up to create another space that was inclusive to everybody because you know, I used to always complain that during Philly Pride Presents, they used to have it felt so white, it felt too white. And I just felt like it excluded the Latina community, it excluded the black community, it excluded our, our, our elder gay. It just, it just did not feel like pride. It just felt like white pride. I've had my fair share of run-ins with um, different bars in the neighborhood. Um, I remember one time, you know, um, Woody's had, in, had put this stupid dress code policy in place. Um, and I had a situation with the security um, at the bar, you know, about not letting me in for a shirt that I had. And it had like my, like little like distressed holes in it. They're like, oh, you can't come in here with that shirt on. And I looked in, I'm like, well, there's someone, you know, white right there that has the same exact shirt that I have on. So why can't I come in, but they're in? The undertone message, you know, oh, probably because of the color of my skin. You know, it's not a good feeling. Luckily, we have our first ever owned, black owned and operated bar in the neighborhood level up. So, you know, that's a, a, a safe space for black folk where we go and we are able to fellowship and have a good time. You know, a lot of other bars, um, they've gotten better, but there's still so much work to be done. When I think of pride, I think of being proud of who you are. I think of standing firm in who you are. I think of being unapologetically loud and free to be you. Um, I think that it sucks that we have Pride Month and, you know, not to get off topic, but I see so many different businesses just come in June, they throw a rainbow on something and they're like, oh, let's make some money. It's Pride Month. Well, where are you guys at the, the, the other months of the year? You know, where are you guys at when we have um, young trans youth that are despaired and when we have homelessness and, and, and with, with gays or when we have, where, where are you at? Like, you know, I don't want an ally, you know what I'm saying? I'm so sick of these allies. I want an accomplice. I want an accomplice to be there with us every single day on the forefront fighting. Get involved, get active, get busy, you know? Use your voice. If you want to be a part of the community, be a part of the community. We want accomplices. We don't want any more allies. I don't want no more allies. We want accomplices. Yeah, that's what pride means to I me. Mean, I'm pride for all the time. Even in when I'm not supposed to be, I'm going to always be me. In a minute, we'll hear from a young person at the Attic Youth Center who's navigating the awkwardness of just being 19 and being a non-binary person of color. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Sabrina Boyd-Circa. I visited the Attic Youth Center this week, where young LGBTQ folks have a space to connect and find resources. That's where I met Ava, an energetic 19-year-old non-binary person who seemed very proud of their identity, but also has a really tough world to navigate. Here's what they told me. 
Greetings. My name is Ava. I use they them pronouns. I am non-binary. I'm rather new to the attic, to be honest. There was a Pride event at like, very, like way early in earlier in this June, in which there was like a Pride block party, and I was with like my older friends and we walking around. It was a fun time, even though I showed up late, but it was good. Uh, I got some hugs. It was fun, and during that walk, I was able to find a flyer for a party at the attic. That was like, oh, it's later tonight, and it's four people in my age group. And I was like, oh, a party specifically for me? Hmm. Sure, I'll show up. I showed up. I danced my butt off. It's nice to uh, be able to be at a space that could like sit down, chill, and mingle. There's not a lot of spaces that are queer specific um, that are for uh, for youth. I'm happy. I happen to come across one, especially because in this awkward college age, like, oh, if you're not in college, well, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? You gotta sit at home, or or if you're not working, because I'm I'm looking for a job. So in this weird, awkward mix of how do you socialize? <laughs> I'm glad the attic is uh, is is a nice little pocket of that. What's on my top of my mind is because I'm searching for a job. It's like. Finding a queer-friendly space, because there's a difference between queer-friendly like people who are like open but not understanding. But I always feel like even when I'm getting accepted into a job, it's a luck of a draw, it's a toss-up whether or not I, how accepting the people are. Like best-case scenario, I could just say, "Hi, I'm Ava. You say them pronouns." Everybody gets it. Everyone can like might slip up every once in a while, but that's going to be that's the most the issue is going to get, and then. There's also the uh, idea of like, oh, I have to explain. Like, I don't mind doing that because I like, of course, I'm in the minority here. And this is like a new thing for a lot of people. But holy, holy crap, it gets exhausting explaining who I am over and over and over again. And then there's just some people who are just like not... The most friendly, or just the per the people just don't outright get it, and will choose to actively like ignore ignore your wishes, and that's like really that is really draining. What I want to see is more community spaces in general, like not even just queer ones, but that just just more community spaces for people to exist, especially broke people. Okay, like there's. <laughs> hard out here to find things to do when you don't have money so finding just more spaces to just exist that's kind of why i think about five years in the future assuming the world doesn't just collapse being in this position to have or to help create more spaces is what i want for the future pride with a capital p to me means being in a community in which you truly belong in because there's a lot of difficulty in gaining that acceptance especially uh, being a person of color and this is difficult and uh yeah it's it's all about coming together as a, as a sense of community i think that's the biggest that's the most important thing
Daisy James is an artist. She makes music and podcasts, and she has been through it. As a trans woman, she struggled to find work and she fears for her safety every day. And yet, she's somehow able to channel that fear and pain into her art. I don't even think she knows how inspiring that is. To me, and probably to a lot of other people too. So my name is Daisy James. I'm a writer, producer. My pronouns are she, her. And yeah, I mean, some of the work I do is mostly focused on podcast production, sound production. I'm a musician and and occasionally you'll find me DJing. I, I call myself a sound queen. So anything sound, I love to get my hands on. My first foray into making podcast production, like a, a bigger podcast production was this documentary, uh, audio documentary slash fictional romantic drama. Um, it was a hybrid and just, it was my excuse to sort of like make art, something that hadn't been done. It was like, because the documentary itself was about cohabitation. So couples that live together outside of traditional marriage, it's sort of its own movement sort of piggybacked off of several different movements. So like women's rights, gay rights, um, civil rights. And the best way I felt like to tell that was through this fictional story alongside interviews with real couples and experts. So as a trans woman here in Philadelphia, I think when I first started transitioning, I sort of, I had my hands in a lot of different friend groups and social circles. I tried to be everything for everyone for a lot, like for a lot of my life. And I think when it came down to like, oh, wow, now I actually need a lot of help and a lot of support. I started to see a lot of those social circles and friend groups and different things start to dwindle. And that was really hard. I was living up in Germantown for a while, which is a much smaller community, much more community minded in Philadelphia. Just being connected to so many people all the time, I was sort of forced to look inward. Um, and so that really helped, I think, shape me um, just because there's that community that I had maybe missed growing up that was just so welcoming and inviting. Yeah, Philadelphia, I think, has its ish together in terms of just being much more open-minded and supportive for a lot of trans folks. It's interesting for people who transition later in life, like myself, you know, you wish that you could have had the opportunity to be yourself as a child, but the, the way that I grew up was just not safe. And I knew that my body, my mind, it knew that. And it went into just survival and parts of myself that I didn't even know were there. Like they just got so lost. I ended up just not even knowing who I was for a really long time. Like it, it, people talk about coming out as a trans woman. I really despise that term because it was not like I was hiding something and I needed to come out. It was like, it, it really was this authentic uncovering, peeling back. So I grew up pretty deep rural. I don't talk about it too much. I don't care to talk about it too much. Um, very conservative, very religious. What I saw, especially right before I started to escape was like this, this movement towards a lot more radicalization. This was like the pre-Trump era. And I was, I was terrified. I was like, these people don't, 
aren't going to give up and they're going to use any means necessary to gain power. Yeah, I mean, there's just this backlash of hate happening right now. And it, it feels like it's only the beginning. <laughs> um, growing up in those places with so much hate, I don't see their minds shifting or their hearts shifting because they're gaining so much in terms of power in this country. It really is just a, a bleak time to sort of be in any marginalized position right now or marginalized identity. But it's interesting because there's this other side, I think, that wants to uplift trans voices, wants to uplift black voices, people of color. It puts us on the front lines of this sort of like culture war that's happening. It often feels like, okay, you've thrown us on the front lines, but where's the support? Where's the backup? Because we're, we're, we're here and we're fighting. It's going to take a lot of efforts to really start to bring some balance and some civility. It's, it's through policy, it's through legislation, and it's, and it's through just taking care of each other, um, not looking always to the government as like the ways that we're going to feel safe. It's just like, how do we take care of ourselves and making sure that your neighbors feel safe and supported? I know what I need to feel safe, and I advocate for those things, which mostly for me has been finding work. I, that's been the, the biggest thing, creating spaces for us to not just have work and be at work, be safe at work. But my sort of encouragement there is like for jobs to allow us to lead and then employers would look to us to say what we need. Pride is about LGBTQIA+. It's about our stories. It's about taking a month to reflect and feel all of the feels. Like what is it been like for us and how do we celebrate that? It's about stepping into maybe some identities that we weren't comfortable with or haven't been as comfortable with. I know for me, like one of the big ones was like, yes, I'm trans, but I'm also a lesbian. And like, what does that look like in the world? How do I lead with that and find representation and be the representation that I wish I could see in the world? I was working this week um, and working out some like feelings on like the past week with the news and things. I was working on like a DJ mix I was feeling so inspired by making it and just the process of making it and just the elements of creation. Yeah, there was, there was a speech that, that I sampled in the mix that I really like, and it's from The Matrix. I guess I could share like the, some of this speech with you because it feels really apt for like our times. Believe me when I say we have a difficult time ahead of us, if we are to be prepared for it, we must first shed our fear of it. I stand here before you now truthfully unafraid. Why? Because I believe something you do not know. I stand here without fear because I remember. I remember that I'm here not because of the path that lies before me, but because of the path that lies behind me. I remember that for 100 years, we have fought these machines. I remember that for 100 years, they have sent their armies to destroy us. And after a century of war, I remember that which matters most. We are still here. 
And that was actually the name where I got the inspiration for the name of the documentary that I made with Darius at the Trans Resource Center. We are still here. And I keep revisiting that over and over, this idea of we are still here no matter what is taking place in the world, no matter what rulings are happening in the world, like we are still here. Thank you to Ram Krishnan, Jason Bowman, Ava, and Daisy James for sharing their stories. I'm Sabrina Boyd-Circa. We'll include some links for LGBTQ resources and places where you can donate or get involved in our show notes. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you again next week.